This should be played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 237 Roof Studios in Upper Lafayette, this is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live on 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. It's time! Take a walk on the wild side and get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world-famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7 The Game. And welcome, everyone, to the must-listen-to Saturday morning sports talk show in all of Acadiana. Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 1037thegame.com. And I guarantee you the next two hours are going to be positively, absolutely lit. You say we got a lot of things to kind of get into. Trust me, there's a lot of things we talk about all the time. What's causing all this? A lot of things going on in this show that's causing all the ruckus. Obviously, the biggest thing causing all the ruckus in the Acadian area was some stuff concerning Billy Napier. I think that's definitely still the biggest headline at this very moment. But, of course, there's a lot of other things that are definitely worth talking about. And, hey, this is the perfect show to do that. Right here on 103.7, the game under the dome for the next two sweet hours. These were two sweet weeks away from the start of college football season. And I'm not counting what happens next week with Week Zero football. But, hey, Florida-Miami still going to be a lot more entertaining than some of those other Week Zero matchups of Christmas past. Still going to be a lot of fun, so hopefully you're ready to enjoy a great two fantastic hours. I'm live, as always, from the 237 Roof Studios. And also, why don't just call us up on the Arco Equipment Hotline, 337 706 0111. You can jump in whenever you like, because trust me, consider this almost like the last day of summertime. Whenever you know it's kind of time to wrap things up, get get ready for school starting, college football season starting. This is going to be the last opportunity to kind of jump in the pool of sports talk. So, hey, jump in the pool. The water's still fine. 337-706-0111. It's still a big party. Hey, why not let you know what's on tap for this weekend? Because it's definitely a party. The weekend is finally upon us. Oh, hell yeah! Pull up a bar stool and let's get you informed about what's on tap right now. Oh, we've got a lot of things on tap, a lot of balls bouncing all over the place. Namely, we got to kind of start things off, obviously, with UFC 241. It's definitely a big fight feel with the king of Fightville getting ready to take on Stipe Miocic for the UFC heavyweight title. It's on the line. Potentially DC's last fight. I'm going to give my thoughts on that towards the end of the program. So just kind of earmark that. Just listen in for the entire program because there's a lot of things worth talking about. But hey, I'll wind up diving into that a little bit later on in the show. It's called a tease, my friends. But hey, I'll never forget the last time these two faced off. It was last year at Twin Peaks on Johnson, I believe, like right after 4th of July weekend. And it was an absolutely phenomenal card. And then Twin Peaks was lit the second DC came out, knocked him out in the first round. Nobody saw it coming. 
and it was absolutely the best thing I've seen in a long, long time. And now we get to see the rematch a little more than a year later. There's definitely a lot of things kind of having a roadblock of DC's quote his last fight, according to some people. It was potentially going to be against Brock Lesnar, but didn't necessarily work out because of, well, Brock retiring from the UFC and deciding, you know what, I'm going to make a lot more money fake wrestling or pretty determined fights. Let's, let's, let's just go that way. Don't want to cause any controversy for anybody who's listening to Katie in a sports station doesn't know that it's more of a predetermined fighting in the WWE. That being said, it's a pretty decent card. Is I think what's really cool is the co-main event is going to be a welterweight fight between Nate Diaz and Anthony Pettis. That one has a lot of intrigue. Then also you got Yoel Romero, Paulo Costa. The main card alone is pretty damn strong. Gabriel Benitez, Sadiq Yusuf, it's okay. Derek Bronson, Ian he- Heinchich. All, like... Like I said, the first three matches on the car, the first, top three matches are fantastic. The other two, eh. But it's still overall a really good main card. It's not as good as what we saw back at um, 239, but it's still a step in the right direction for UFC. Kind of just to keep building these big cards up. And of course, not too long for now, we got the Khabib Poirier fight, UFC 232. So it's not quite like what we were talking about with UFC 240 a while back, that it was an appetizer for what was to come with the main event that everybody was looking forward to. DC, Miocic, and Poirier, Nurmagomedov. Absolutely fantastic card tonight. I'd say even the even the undercard, some of the stuff with the prelims looks pretty darn good. So make sure you check it out tonight. Hey, want to hang out with us at Twin Peaks? On Johnson, if you really want to have a good time and watch UFC 241 for the UFC heavyweight title on the line, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Definitely just something to kind of keep an eye on is looking at that. And then, of course, other things we're talking about, I think for some people, the Little League World Series is where it's at, and that's kind of going on right now, namely, especially if you're in the state of Louisiana, River Ridge. Congrats to them for kind of making it to the Little League World Series to Williamsport, PA. Didn't necessarily start off all that well. Lost the first game. But I think they can make some noise in double elimination play. And I think Andrew Lopez, formerly Anola.com and Times Begune, he agrees with that statement. And I think I'm looking forward to seeing what they do going forward. Little League World Series, something, just, something else just to keep an eye on. I hadn't necessarily had an eye on it. But something just to look at over the course of the weekend and the next several days, actually, because it's going to be going on for, I think, the next week or so. A lot of things to kind of juggle around at this point in time. So hopefully you're enjoying it as much as I am talking about it right now. Obviously, I I haven't had a whole lot of time to look at what's going on with the Little League World Series outside of, obviously, River Ridge losing. The only other thing I saw was a... Handshake after the opposing team hit a home run. I believe it was the third baseman. That one wound up drumming up a little bit of controversy for some people. Just they weren't a fan of the of the handshaking. I don't know why. That's just their personal preference. But again, definitely something just to kind of keep an eye on this weekend to see if the state of Louisiana can keep it going in the Little League World Series, especially River Ridge. They wound up looking like a really good program first team out of New Orleans to get into that big dance that is the Little League World Series. But of course, 
other things that apparently get people interested here. Montecadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game, is without a doubt the English Premier League. One of the members of our Fantasy Football League actually said he loves some of the soccer coverage, so why not kind of do that again? But I'm going to start things off before I get into this weekend's matchups because there's a lot of intrigue, especially later today, 11.30, with Man City taking on Tottenham, the Hotspurs, and Man City. That's going to be a fun matchup. But first, I want to bring up my boys, Man U. And my goodness, they looked outstanding last Sunday. True story. I got. I've been going back to the gym the last couple weeks, and I was on the elliptical during the second half of their EPL game against Chelsea. I was looking forward to that, so I wanted to say, you know, what, I'm gonna go to the gym, come back, eat lunch, and celebrate. Hopefully, a man, you win. They scored early in the first half, a, uh, a PK, and then you had just an absolute barrage of goals, especially the one that was three nothing. That wanted making it three nil. That Pogba set up. I put it up on Twitter. It's an absolute masterpiece of a kick, of a, of a goal, and it's a perfect masterpiece of an assist into a goal. It was so well done and timed out perfectly. It's like something you do in FIFA, not in real life. But that's what we saw last Sunday with Man U getting the 4-0 win. It, and I made some noise for the first time in a while during a sporting event in PSA, by the way. No cheering in the press box, so I haven't, I haven't had that opportunity to do that in a long, long while. Just actually make some noise and kind of like mark out a little bit for the Reds, and congrats to them. 1-0 on the season, of course. They'll be playing again, I believe, on Monday for their second match of the EPL League. Yeah, Monday at 2, but of course, there's other matchups worth kind of keeping an eye on. The rest of the weekend right now, I'd say the what everybody's paying attention to is Liverpool-Southampton. Currently, Liverpool up 1-0. But again, I mentioned it. Man City-Tottenham, 11.30. I'm definitely going to be watching most of that after the show wraps up. Probably going to have to stick around here watching it because it's definitely going to be an intriguing matchup, to say the least. Two of the favorites, this, two of the favorites heading into the season facing off Chelsea. You know, Chelsea did not look good in their debut, and they'll be playing tomorrow. I'm going to probably keep tabs on it, just see how they bounce back after opening up the season in a just disheartening 4-0 loss. What happens with Man City Tottenham is going to be what everybody is looking at. So hopefully, if you're a soccer fan, if you're an EPL person, probably the one person who's an EPL fan around the around these parts, hopefully you enjoyed a little bit of the EPL update. But outside of that, not much really going on this weekend. Again, it is the final weekend of life without college football, but I don't consider it really the college football, college football until the 31st when things get kickstarted. Cause trust me, there's a lot of things that are getting people fired up. A lot of things getting people ramped up and I'll get to what's causing all this in the next segment. And trust me, a lot of people aren't a fan of what's been kind of said over the last 48 hours in little old Cajun country, Lafayette, Louisiana, and I'll get to it in just a little bit. But first, let me give you a heads up on what's on tap for the show today. 10.30, we'll talk a lot about UFC 241 with our guy Blaine Henry, the Fight Library podcast. He knows what he's talking about when it comes to just straight up the fight game. He knows how to hype it up unlike anybody else. And then we got 
Jim Johnson, not Jim Johnson, the guy that wrote that made all those WWE theme songs. We're talking Jim Johnson of Southern Pigskin at 11:30, and we're going to get into some details about the Cajuns on the offensive side of the football. We know it's good with them, but I feel like it's interesting to kind of hear his perspective because he put out a big long form article with in-depth analysis. So I want to get it from the man himself that wrote the da- the darn thing rather than little old me. It's going to be interesting to see what he has to say. Once again, Jim Johnson, Southern Pigskin at 4.30. But I'm going to take a quick commercial break, and then we, then the real fun begins. Because I think everybody's been looking forward to hearing my un, unfiltered thoughts on what happened yesterday. So we're going to get to that next on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. Under the Dome with CD is a show for all the degenerates out there. You make your rules and we will break them. Let's get back to the famous CD who will break it all down for us. Yeah. On 103.7 The Game. I just want everybody to know that the intention here is to create a culture within our building that we're grateful for what we have and the opportunity that's in front of us and we understand and we want to educate our players about the process of where their scholarship comes from, where their cost of attendance check comes from, where the facilities that we have, uh, the things relative to their tuition, books, fees, all the investment that goes into uh, our athletic department and university and the support that they have given our players. And I will say this, in the last few years, we have done a lot to improve the experience of the student-athlete at the University of Louisiana. And that's, that's what this is about. This is a simple gesture on behalf of our players uh, to say thank you to all the people out there that have given back to this place and put these young men in position uh, to where they can live out their dream of playing college football and getting a college education. And that's the biggest thing that everybody and their mama is talking about. I mean, he was on Paul Feinbaum's show yesterday and a lot of other things that were going on. The man was just making it the rounds all over the place to kind of double back some of the things that he said on Wednesday, talking about a donation to RCAP for the players outside the walk-ons, of course, being mandatory. And that's what's been causing all this here over the last 24 to 48 hours, of course. That was head coach Billy Napier. And you're listening to Under the Dome with, of course, the world-famous CD inside the 237 Roof Studios, presented by Lafayette Roofing. And i got to say, there was a lot of things to be said about what he talked about. And now he's doubling back, making sure to say that it is voluntary. But that's not good enough for the national media. That's not good enough for those media members like a Dan Wolken, who actually quote tweeted the video that I put out through 1037 The Game's YouTube channel. It's been getting a lot of run, so why not kind of talk about it? Basically, he wants these guys to donate to Archive. He had Lee DeLeon there on Wednesday. This isn't just like, oh, hey, like, like first day of training camp. He mentioned it, and a couple weeks later, he announces it to everybody that they're donating. This is something where he had Lee DeLeon, the new executive director for RCAF, talk to the team. And if you listen to Ben Love's show yesterday, it is literally what you think it was. It was just a conversation and having them get to know what what, what RCAF and RCAF was all about. And I like the fact that they did that. Because guess what? It's like, you know, 99% of these kids 
are going to wind up knowing, oh, hey, they know about RCAF, but they don't know all about it. Like, they don't know all the ins and outs of it unless they're, like, business majors. I think those will be few and far between, at least from my perspective. I could be completely wrong about this, but I don't know. I'm just going to tell you right now. They know about Archive because these guys help pay for a lot of the things that they have right now, and it's absolutely amazing. We've, we've seen the renovated football facility, the locker rooms they have are outstanding. Some of the best facilities in the entire country, mind you. But, of course, everybody's got to have a take. Everybody's got to get clicks on it. So why not dive into it right here, right now? Because guess what? I feel like that's where the problem is. And, you know, I'll say this. There is an issue going on with, obviously, the conversation concerning the concerning Billy Napier and what he said on Wednesday. And there was a little bit wrong with that. Of course, was him saying it was mandatory. Not exactly the best way to handle that. Maybe, just maybe it should have been handled a little bit differently and say, hey, like it's not mandatory. These guys will be, will be voluntary. And, you know, basically say what you said on Friday, and I'm sure nothing of this would have happened. He didn't have to double back. He could have just done the first step. I think that's the only thing that can be avoided when it comes to some of the issues that people have been talking about concerning the Cajuns and what Billy Napier said on Wednesday. That kind of dove into Thursday, and now it's Saturday, and we're still talking a little bit about it. My take is, you know, these guys do get cost of attended stipends. It's not like it was, let's say, five to ten years ago, whenever you had these guys not get cost of attended stipend, basically they're having to pay. They're not paying for college. These guys will have a scholarly, and they were able to kind of not have to worry about paying all that tuition, probably have to pay a little bit here and there for food, but the cost of tenant stipend is there for a reason. And that's why I feel like the $50 seems like a drop in the bucket to Billy Napier, but it's still not a drop in the bucket for these Cajun players that definitely are wanting to do this. That's the thing. If it was, oh, hey, like they want to do this. They were, they were, they were encouraged. It's not like, oh, hey, you know, we're encouraging you. We're telling you to go donate. We 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 are encouraging you to do something to help give back to that community that's helping you have these opportunities. Is guess what? You know, these opportunities they weren't there for some of the players from five ten years ago. Some of the players that helped kind of start building the foundation, if you will, of success over the last let's say eight years since twenty eleven. The first New Orleans Bowl. Nobody ever saw that coming with during that bustle era towards the tail end of that. Whenever the Locker rooms were, the state of them weren't weren't exactly that great. I can tell you this. I think this is probably the best thing to happen because guess what? You know, these guys see this every single day. They're used to it at this point. Whenever you saw the first year that they had it for the Cajuns, they weren't used to it. They wound up getting a little bit soft. And again, maybe that's just my perspective of things because that's what head coach at the time, Mark Hudson, mentioned. I can tell you right now, you, you just look at everything going on with that program, a lot of it had to do with the success that the Cajuns football program was starting to have at the time. And now they have this great facility. They have these great kind of nutritional help and all this. They are able to have the ability to be able to do some amazing things right now to where they are way ahead of the pack in the Sunbelt Conference. And it's a conversation we've had for years now about the Cajuns moving on, going to the Conference USA or the American Athletic Conference or what have you. And this is kind of the biggest thing for me is there's a lot of frustration 
involving the fan base. Because of one reason, one reason only. It's because of the fact that everybody wants to hate on the demand, according to some people. And trust me, my Twitter account has been getting mentions non-stop this morning. Is the bump has continued again? It's the fact that, well, somebody brought this up, and I want to kind of bring this up. It's like somebody said, if you want student athletes to invest in their programs slash universities, provide them with a great experience. Don't ask them to donate fifty dollars that they're they're not Boy Scouts selling popcorn to go to summer camp. In my opinion, coaches should be set should set an example and donate to their institutions. This is coming from somebody on Twitter that quote t- tweeted. The video, because trust me, this video is going everywhere, and it's insane. I, I have, I've had posts about really good stories, really good features. Like, for instance, I wrote a story on him, and Darius Jones a couple years ago, a blue-collar walk-on. It got some really good run, but I feel like this one's getting a lot more run, again, because it's a negative light. It's a, it's a black eye on the sport of college football. I feel like everybody just wants to be in this cancel culture, if you will, and I don't know why we are still... In 2019, wanting to be a cancel culture. That's not the way I want to do things. But, of course, that's the way some of these people want to kind of handle things. But, of course, you know, what they don't realize is that the coaches already are. And Billy Napier, and I'm going to throw the sound bite up. I hope these people are listening as well. That the initiative, and we're going to bold, italicize, underline, all caps, voluntary. And I think if you spoke with our players... Maybe what's out there publicly doesn't reflect what's going on here. You know, this is a group of young men that totally understood the message. Um, maybe it was put out there that this was a mandatory uh, deal. You know, when I spoke with the players, I told them, you know, if they can't afford it or maybe they feel like they're stretching a little thin, they can easily come see me personally. Or if they disagree with it, they can come see me personally and I'll pay theirs on my behalf. It's so frustrating to see everybody jump on the Cajuns for doing this. Because, you know, I'd much rather try and set this up for the not for the near future because let's 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 be honest. I think outside of a select few players, none of them are really gonna wind up getting to that next level in the NFL. Maybe the XFL, but that's not where they want to go. It's the NFL is where they want to be. It's right there, you're you're grasping at it. And I'll tell you that, it's just that's where I'm at. Bottom line, bold italicized underline, people just want to complain to no end, and I am tired of the just the controversy that has been caused by this whenever I get it. Everybody wants to kind of hate on this, but guess what? That's just the way Billy and April wants to do it. It's different. It's, I'd almost say revolutionary, because guess what? You know, you're having them pay $50 a year. It's not $50 a week. $50 a month, $50 over the course of a year. I get where everybody's at whenever it comes to, oh, hey, it's, these players shouldn't have to do that at all. Well, guess what? I want these guys to do that because I want them to kind of become what we see with a lot of these universities where the alumni care a lot about the school they went to. I mentioned 2011, whenever the Cajuns started getting really good, one of their players, Blaine Gauthier, now a coach with LSU, more of an assistant, I think he's almost an analyst to an extent, but he deals with LSU football. I'm going to try to try and have these guys build that rapport now, that way in the future, after they're done with football and able to kind of establish their life, 
after football, they can start donating to make sure the next generation of college football players is ready to do that, ready to be as good, if not better, than they were because they have more opportunities to do the things that they're doing. We're going to take a quick commercial break. Back after this, a little bit of different conversation. UFC 241. We're coming back next on Acadiana Sports Station 1037 Game. When your battery goes dead, everything could come to a stop. Don't take a chance on getting stranded. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and get your battery tested free of charge. If your battery does need to be replaced, O'Reilly Auto Parts can help you find the exact battery that fits your car or truck at a guaranteed low price. O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. The famous CD is a five-tool player of sports talk. He can talk about a lot of different things, even some soccer. You're Manchester United, suppose. Sing the Manchester United song. Okay, maybe not soccer. Back to Under the Dome on 1037 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with the CD on Acadiana's number one sports station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. And now it's kind of our main event of the morning and also early afternoon for those folks who are listening live on the free mobile app presented by Visit Avery Island. And trust me, we got a lot of things to talk about involving UFC 241 going on tonight. I'd say a pretty stacked card. Now we're going to talk about it with our guy, Blaine Henry. He's on the Arco Equipment Hotline, host of the Fight Library podcast. He also does a lot of great stuff involving the world of MMA and maybe a little bit of boxing as well. But we're going to stick to mainly what's going on in the UFC 241 tonight. And we can get to it right now. What's going on, my good brother? What'd you say, Clint? Nice to have me on, brother. I appreciate you. Oh, I thank you for coming on once again, my man. We got to kind of get things kick-started off, right? UFC 241. Didn't have you on for 240. So I'm going to get your observations. Hey, what do you think about UFC 240 and how that kind of worked out in between, obviously, closing out International Fight Week at the beginning of July and right before another really solid fight card? It was a great card. Max Holloway got the job done. He, uh, you know, we, Everybody was worried about him because of um, how bad he got beat by Louisiana's own Dustin Poirier, but he went in, got the job done, unanimous decision against Frankie Edgar, who's always a tough opponent. Um, Felicia Spencer gave Chris Cyborg as much as she wanted. That was a great, great fight. I thought that was fight of the night myself. Um, and Cyborg obviously got the win, but Felicia showed everybody she's here to stay. So it was a great card. I was really excited on that one. Hey, you know, we're talking about that. I think obviously we kind of got to start things off talking about, you know, UFC Dana White will not negotiate a contract with Chris Cyborg. And then on top of that, we see come out just a couple of days ago with Kat Zingano. He, she's been released from the UFC, and she actually issued a statement. And she basically put, I guess you can say it was mutual, but are you surprised to see, like, Chris Cyborg, obviously a big draw, and also Kat Zingano, who seemed like she was starting to be on the come-up as of late. Are you surprised at that? Uh, Kat, not really. I am surprised with Chris Cyborg, but after the, the incident with the video where her team edited it, uh, the sound of a video to make Dana White look bad, I, I completely understand their decision to let her go. 
Um, Kat was one and four in her last five fights. She really hasn't looked good as of late, and she barely ever fights. So, you know, I mean, maybe they let her go and she's up to better and bigger things, which is more beneficial to her. So I'm completely okay with both of the moves. Uh, the women's division has a lot of up-and-coming talent. Uh, Jillian Robinson is, uh, Robinson's one of the ones, and she came off uh, – UFC 240 as well. She's fighting another really good contender in that division, Macy Barber. Uh, you also got Ketlin Vieira. Uh, there's, there's tons of women coming up that are very, very, very good fighters. And UFC is going to miss Cyborg and, and Cat, but at the same time, I completely understand their decisions. Talking now with Blaine Henry, Fight Library Podcast, all kinds of other great stuff as well in terms of the written word all over the interwebs. But of course, I think we all we got to wind up getting things going before we get to the main event. Obviously, just looking at what's right behind it with the co-main event, Nate Diaz, Anthony Pettis, two big names, definitely a solid second secondary fight right behind, obviously, DC and Stipe, too. What can you say about the Pettis-Diaz fight? Well, Nate Diaz is coming off of that long layoff. His last fight was the second time fight in 2016. So it, it's a bit of a long layoff for him, but Nate Diaz is always in shape. Anthony Pettis, is obviously, it's a 170 fight. Anthony Pettis looked great in his last 170 fight, knocking out Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. Um, I'm going to take Pettis, but that's a toss-up to me personally. I think Nate Diaz can just as good as win this fight. But for the for the layoff, I'd, I'd give the nod to Anthony Pettis, who is obviously also a... Uh, a former UFC champion as well. He's the Showtime, the guy who kicks off the cage. It's the main highlight everybody sees from from Anthony Pettis. So, yeah, I like Anthony in this fight, um, although I wouldn't count my ideas out. And then, of course, like I said, I mean, we've got two really good fights. Then the third-to-last third fight is going to be Yoel Romero-Paulo Costa. That's going to be a really fun matchup, to say the least. It's one that's hyped up on the poster for 241. What can you say about that big fight? That is a monster fight for the 185 division. Yo Romero is like a bull in a china shop. He's just havoc on any opponent he has. Ask the former champ Robert Whitaker. He went 10 rounds with Yo Romero, and it was not any good. He came off a devastating injury after both of the fights. He won both of them, but still. Paulo Costa is 12-0. and He is um, one of the best up-and-coming prospects in here. And these guys are about the most in shape as you'll ever see any fighter be. These two are they're, they're shredded. So they're, they're your stereotypical monsters in the cage that you want to see fight. And it's going to be a brawl. I, I'm not going to make a pick on this because I really don't know. Talking right now with Blaine Henry. And, of course, I think we also got to kind of talk about what's going on with the undercard, the prelims, the early prelims. What's one match that you're going to want to just keep an extra eye on to see what happens? Early prelims, I'm looking at Hannah Cyphers and Jody Eskel. Um, Hannah's really a tough opponent for anybody that gets in there, her striking top notch. And Jody's obviously been there, done that. So that's that's a really good fight for uh, both of them. And it, it means a lot for the division that they're in because, you know, Jody, she's borderline being cut by the UFC, whereas Hannah... You know, Hannah's not quite there yet, so they'll be fighting for a contract, and I think that that'll make it an interesting fight. And Blaine, I think now we got to get into it. Daniel Cormier, Stipe Miocic, the second go round. Obviously, the last time this happened a year ago, you had to go down with a knockout punch to Stipe's dome to end things there. And Daniel Cormier, the first ever heavyweight in the light heavyweight champion, hold both of those at the same time. Now he's just got one belt to focus on. Where do you see this going? Because it just to me, it doesn't seem like we'll be seeing deja vu where DC will catch Stipe off guard with a KO punch. 
all right, so you know I love my Louisiana guys and DC's from Lafayette, but on this fight, I can actually see Stipe taking it. Um, Stipe's not a dumb fighter at all. Even with DC, Stipe is very, very good with game plan, and we saw that in his Francis and Ganyu fight where he avoided all the power shots early and implemented his wrestling. Um, I think we could see Stipe this round decide to use more of his jab, more of his length that he has on DC, but DC is a bulldog, and he will march forward even if you're jabbing him in the face. So, you know, I, I like DC in this fight. Um, I like Stipe in this fight. And if I had to put money on it, I would be going with Stipe in this room and we'd get a DC Stipe three for sure. All right. Sticking with the DC Stipe fight, and you're, we're talking about it. Which way do you see it going? Is it going to be a KO or is this going to be a fight where both guys go the distance? It's a five round fight. You know, uh, with heavyweights, it's hard to tell, but. Stipe, like I said, with his game plan, and he can he has the cardio and everything can go five rounds. Um, I can see Stipe dragging this into the long waters, either a fourth or fifth round knockout, which is incredibly hard to do with DC. Or he can take it by decision, which is the only uh, real way he currently has lost to John Jones is by decision. The other one got overturned to a no contest. So, you know, I think it'd be a decision um, in, in Stipe's way, or I think DC could knock Stipe out, you know, either or. It's going to be interesting to see what goes on. Talking right now with Blaine Henry, Fight Library Podcast. And let's flip it over. Of course, you brought up, you think it's wind up being DC Stipe 3 as something that happens. Mind you, DC has talked about just having one more fight before he hangs it up. He's he's 40 years old. The guy's just right there. I feel like win or lose, this could wind up being his last go-round. Where do you stand on it? Does this wind up being his last fight, or does he still have a couple more left in the tank? You brought up DC Stipe 3. Of course, you've got that John Jones fight. It's looming out there in the distance. It just keeps – it's the great white whale that UFC wants to have one final time. Yeah, and if DC wins, I can see them fighting John Jones again. But I don't see John coming up to heavyweight to fight DC. I, I think John um, keeps the fight at one, 205, and he fights uh, – DC at light heavyweight, light uh, yeah, light heavyweight. So um, if DC loses, he's not going out on a loss. He's, he's going to want to ride into the sun. So, so there'll be DC Stipe three. Um, if he wins, I can see John Jones definitely happen. Um, I do not think this is his last fight, though. I think he's got one more in the tank after this. And I'm looking forward to it coming up tonight, UFC 241. But of course, let's, let's look a little bit ahead. More, let's just jump towards the boxing side of things. I mentioned that you big follower of boxing. And let's get the latest. What's going on with the Regis Prograde fight? Because a while back, they announced the Nito Donaire final for the World Boxing Super Series. It just feels like we should have been getting the drop on what was going to go down with the Regis Prograde fight. Will, when will that fight take place? Or just there's no idea yet? Well, there's no idea yet. The issue is um, Regis was not happy with the World Boxing Super Series, and he decided to pull out from the, the Josh Taylor fight, much to this kind of fans, and he filed a lawsuit with World Boxing Super Series. Now, um, they're saying that Josh Taylor and him still want to fight, but his manager, Lou DeBella, says Taylor is, you know, the fight's at big risk. So it'll happen, I believe. I think they'll make it right. I think there was an issue with money. They really didn't give us all that much of the, uh, um, detail on why we just pulled out of the fight, but I think it was getting the money secured in time for the fight. Um, Regis is all business, no play. So, you know, that could have been an issue or how they, where they were wanting the fight could have been an issue. Who knows? You know, but the fight's offered right now, but I think it'll happen. 
Big news kind of dropped. Did not realize that from a man, Blaine Henry. The man just covers MMA and boxing, especially involving Louisiana products, unlike any other. Blaine, thanks you so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you down the road, and hopefully we see D.C. get the dub. That's right. Take it easy, my man. All right, that was Blaine Henry. You can follow him on Twitter at Blaine Henry MMA on Twitter. And trust me, I recommend you do so because there's be a lot of things worth talking about involving the world of UFC. And tonight, it's UFC 241. So why not enjoy the fight with some eats, some drinks, some scenic views, of course. I'm talking about Twin Peaks on Johnston, UFC 241. We've got a watch party going down over there. RP3 is going to be out there. You know I'm going to be out there because who doesn't love UFC, especially when you have a DC steep bay two. Last time that fight happened, that place got as loud as I've ever heard it, especially after Brock Lesnar came out, and that was just an all-around amazing night of fighting. Hopefully you're out there getting ready to enjoy some UFC. It's a pretty stacked card, like I mentioned. Just a quick rundown on the main card. DC steep bay main event, Anthony Pettis, Nate Diaz co-main event, Right behind that is Yoel Romero, Paulo Costa, Gabriel Benitez, and Sodiq Yusuf. And then you also have Derek Brunson and Ian Heinzich. That's to be a hard name to pronounce. But that being said, it's going to be one hell of a fight card. So why not come out? Twin Peaks on Johnson for the eats, the drinks, the scenic views, and also the fighting. We'll be back with more after this on Acadiana Sports Station 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. And we're going to kind of flip things over to the world of baseball, give you an idea of what's been going on around the world of the MLB. Coming up next. The numbers don't lie, because when you listen to Under the Dome with CD, your knowledge of sports increases by 141 and two-thirds percent. Now, let's get back to the genetic freak of sports talk. He's fat! On Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with a CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station 1037 The Game, 1037thegame.com. And you know that promo made me think about it. Thanks to everybody who joined the Under the Dome League. Just appreciate everybody for coming out this past this past Wednesday. I almost said Saturday. Today's Saturday. But this past Wednesday to be part of the 1037 The Game Under the Dome Fantasy League, and my goodness, I absolutely love the names, and I'll do a quick power ranking of it, obviously. I'll take mine out of there. I'll just give you a top three. And number three, got to wind up going with Jerry White Rice. That is an undisputed name. I love puns, so this one is a strong one. And then King Goffrey, number two. Number one, and I'll, I'll take some credit for this one, it is more than a Thielen because, well, during the draft, it was Bradley's best team. A guy, Bradley, I actually told him, hey, like, let, I was like, he picked Adam Thielen. I'm like, 
Make your team name more than a Thielen, please. Because like I said, it's just like seeing it be just the generic name. It's not as great as like coming up just with the names. But also, I'll give it an honorable mention credit where credits due to our guy Spilt Liquor. And yes, that is a Ric Flair reference. Spent more money on Spilt Liquor than you spent all last year. It's a hard time keeping these alligators down. Absolutely love the fact he made his team name Spilt Liquor with a Ric Flair avatar, of course. Blitz and Chips, going to want him hopefully doing some big things. According to Yahoo, not so much. One of kind of underwhelming in the draft. Which, by the way, the draft was fantastic. Setting this whole thing up was a lot, and appreciate everybody for coming on out. But of course, we got to kind of get to what happened last night in the world of Major League Baseball. And in some cases, you might have been sleeping during some of the things that happened. Maybe you were living under a rock. So why not kind of give you an idea of what happened last night as we were on the bases. The grind of baseball season is a long one, and the famous CD isn't afraid of rounding the bases on a Saturday morning. Time to play ball and touch them all, right here on 103.7 The Game. Oh, and we had a really interesting ball game last night going into the wee hours of the morning. I think the ball game wrapped up a little, the broadcast for the Houston Astros wrapped up a little after 1.30 last night. 1.30 last night, are you kidding me? And then you have the Astros and the A's go at it in a... Four-game series, game two last night, a walk-off single in the 13th inning gave the A's the win and the Astros their fourth straight loss. The 2-0, and that's bounced up the middle, and that's going to squirt through for a base hit. Joseph around third. He will score. Robbie Grossman, the walk-off RBI single, and the A's win 3-2 in the bottom of the 13th. Hit in the right spot, up the middle. And Oakland has taken the first two games of this four-game series. And that's after a really good performance from Justin Verlander. It's underwhelming seeing the Astros lose their fourth straight, especially the way they've lost some of those games. The doubleheader, game two of that doubleheader on Tuesday against the White Sox. Hurt them a lot. Then Wednesday, you have them stink up the joint defensively. Thursday, it was just a closed ball game. Really bad beat, if you will. And in this one, a walk-off in the 13th inning. The Astros going to look to get off the schneid a little bit later today. They called up somebody trying to pull up his name now. I have it mentioned at the top of the hour anyways. But Rogelio Armenteros, and I'm probably mispronouncing that, he'll be getting the start for the Strohs this afternoon. 3 o'clock, first pitch, and then the pregame show at 2.30. So make sure you keep it locked right here on 103.7 The Game to hear everything Involving those Houston Astros as they begin to make a push for the postseason. Looking at other games across the league, Bryce Harper three-run jacked album take down the Padres nine eight to four. Excuse me. Here's the pitch. Swung on, hit well, left field. Going back is Myers. He looks up. It is gone. And Bryce Harper is homered again, an opposite field, three-run home run, his 26th of the year. And the Phillies now with an 8-3 to three lead. It's a fantastic time to be the Phillies right about now, but what a great performance from those Phillies. 8-4 to four over the Padres. Hop it over. we got to look at the Colorado Rockies. The team has been a little bit better than maybe some have expected. And last night, came up with a 3-0 win 
lot of the thanks to this solo home run by Nolan Arenado. Nolan swings. This time it won't make any difference. Wall is not going to stop that one. Touch him all time. Nolan Arenado with a big insurance run. 3 nothing Rockies. Which is an interesting ball game to say the least with the Colorado Rockies beating the Florida, the Miami Marlins. An absolute train wreck over there still to this day. Alcantara, the losing pitcher last night, 4-11 and on the year. You're going to imagine how much worse everything else was. But, of course, some wacky things were going on in the West Coast. And I mentioned the Oakland A's. Well, the San Francisco Giants looked really good with an 11-inning walk-off home run or a home run from Yaz, his third one of the game, to help them win 10-9. to Yaz was feasting. The pitch. Swing it a drive. Deep into right center field. It is out of here. His third home run of the night, and the Giants take the lead. Amazing stuff right there from the San Francisco Giants. Maybe it, maybe it will be every other year because they wound up turning the corner as of late. And then, of course, let's get a quick look around the world of the MLB with a wild card update right now. Cleveland Indians and Tampa Bay Rays in the wild card race. Currently, the Cleveland Indians are two games up. The Tribe is rolling. The Rays right behind them. Only a half game up from the Oakland A's and then Boston Red Sox. Currently, almost mathematically eliminated. Six and a half games back. That's a super, That's a World Series hangover if there ever was one. And then, of course, looking at the NL, it's still a crowded house as all get out with St. Louis, Chicago, and Philly all in the wild card race right here, right now. And then you have the Milwaukee Brewers one game back. The Mets kind of on a downturn, currently two games back in the wild card race. So something just to kind of keep an eye on as we near the tail end of the regular season. But, of course, after next week, not many people are going to be given as much of a you-know-what about that as much as they give a you-know-what about the world of the NFL, college football, high school football, and that's what everybody's going to be talking about. And I'll be talking about it as well. We're going to take a quick commercial break. Hour one in the books. Hour number two of two coming up next. Don't forget, at 11.30, Jim Johnson, some Southern pigskin talk. We're going to get that to you next on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 Game. Played at high volume, preferably in a residential area. Live and local from the 237 Roof Studios in Upper Lafayette, this is Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game. Streaming live on 1037thegame.com and on the free 1037 The Game mobile app. It's Saturday. Take a walk on the wild side and get your Saturday started with an inside look under the dome with the world-famous CD. Do you know who I am? I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. On 103.7 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station. 103.7 The Game and 103.7 TheGame.com. Live as always. 
from the 237 Roof Studios. From the roof to the roofs of Acadiana, Lafayette Roofing has got you covered. All you got to do is call them up, 237-ROOF. That's 237-7663. But if you want to call us, i.e. me, all you got to do is call us up at 337-706-0111. Darko Equipment Highland, it's open till 1130. So why not just give us a ring and we'll talk whatever you want to talk about. Because trust me, there's a lot of things to dive into. And before I get to actual sports talk and look ahead to the Saints' second preseason game against the Los Angeles Superchargers, which is still weird to say, by the way, I saw this pop up on Twitter during the commercial break, and I feel like bringing this to the table. And it's blown my mind, and now I can't not hear it. And if anybody knows me well enough, knows that back, I mean, anybody from the early 2000s, knows the big timer song still fly it's absolutely fantastic and it's a song especially here in louisiana that we love it's it's all about the culture and i was blown away by hearing this i'm not going to give you i'm going to tell you what it is after i play a quick sample of the big timers still fly right now all right just think about that for a second and then we go to what sampled it, what they sampled for the hook of the song. Uncharted Desert Isle with Gilligan, the skipper too, the millionaire and his wife. Yes, it samples Gilligan's Island. I was today years old when I realized that, and it blows my mind, and now I can't hear the big timers without thinking about Killigan, the professor, and Skipper. How did they come up with that idea? It, it's amazing to me how that is actually a thing in 2019 that we, we've ju- we're just now realizing the the fact that you have the song from Gilligan's Island sampled in the big timers still fly. 2019 is a very weird time, and I'm going to move on to some Saints talk right about now, of course. It's a preseason game. It's relatively meaningless. Last week, I had somebody call up and say if asked if I watched the preseason game, and honestly, a little bit frustrating to hear that from a from a listener. Even though I did watch it intently, it's not necessarily the beginning of the game. I wasn't able to kind of watch the first series or so because I was en route leaving from the two three seven roof studios to my house because I usually take care of some other stuff as well. Not long after bumper to bumper sports wraps up, so I'm actually in studio and I have to kind of go back home for a little bit and eat dinner. I'm not necessarily hundred percent focused on the game after I eat dinner. It's like basically I am hundred percent, hundred percent focused on that. And also making sure I give you the best show possible bottom line. But I gotta say the New Orleans saints in California, it's just a little weird. The fact that it's in Los Angeles, but you've got this joint practice. It's something that, Everybody's been talking about for a long, long time about how these are becoming more of a trend. It's a trendy thing to do, and I'm not hating on that at all. I think it's actually a really awesome thing to put together. I mean, we've heard Drew Brees went as far as to say they're really good. It helps out, helps them out a whole lot. It's actually really worthwhile to get these things done. And he actually talked about how they help out a lot. I'd say for for me, it's even more valuable because I'm I'm getting a lot more reps obviously in these practices than I would be getting in a preseason game. And so, uh, and, and you script, you script situations, right? You don't always encounter every situation in a preseason game. 
But out here, you're able to script, you know, play action periods and pressure periods, third down, red zone, two minute, you know, everything that would happen throughout the course of a normal game or the regular season. And you get to go up against a really, really good, talented team, a team that's used to winning, a team that was a playoff team last year. So um, I think it's good. Just it ramps up the competition. It really does. And, you know, it, we saw it happen on the first day of joint practices. It definitely juices everybody up. And you want to see people getting fights. It's not necessarily the best thing in the world, but those are just going to keep happening because guess what? You're not used to playing against somebody else. You're having to kind of like get that out there. And it's like you can wind up getting a little bit chippy from time to time and you have those happen, but then you move on. It's not like when you see during the regular season where at one point, I can remember a few years ago, I think 2014 season for the New Orleans Saints. Yeah, 2014 season when they went 7-9 and and they were playing the Carolina Panthers, and all of a sudden the Panthers and Saints are fighting. They're about to go back in the locker room and start beating the tar out of each other. It was almost like if this was like semi-pro, then you would have had all these guys basically say, turn off the cameras, we're going to break, and then somebody hit somebody. That's basically what would have happened, and it would have been amazing to see that. But again, it's like these things are commonplace. But again, it helps out a lot because guess what? You're playing against the same team in the New Orleans Saints, you're playing the, the Saints defense is playing the Saints offense every single day, day in and day out for the last three weeks. You're playing against the Chargers. You actually get a little bit more perspective on working with another team, understanding what that other team is, and also, more importantly, I feel like you can have a little bit more competitive juices because guess what? You want to show yourself to be better against another opponent, especially a high-level opponent like a Los Angeles Chargers. The Chargers are still good. Like, don't act like they're not. They've still got a lot of different talents all around that team, namely Phillip Rivers. Uh, Phillip Rivers has turned himself into being, you know, we talked about this a lot during the Jordy Holberg show, which was filled in admirably by RP3 and Nick Fontenot about Hall of Fame. I think Phillip Rivers definitely has a strong case to be a Hall of Famer. Maybe not first ballot, probably second Ballot Hall of Famer, because again, like he doesn't have a Super Bowl ring to his name, but he still had a really, really good career over the course of time, and that's really the biggest thing for me. He wound up having a long career and a long career of success. It's not like he wound up having like one good year and then stayed in the median like a Tony Romo did. I think Tony Romo definitely deserves to be in the Hall of Fame right now because of his broadcasting skills, because he's been outstanding. The transition for him has been amazing, but Philip Rivers is on a different level. The man is absolutely ageless, and he actually talked about that a little bit, talked about him being called the ageless wonder. I feel great mentally. Maybe he's talking about that. But, no, I do. I feel good physically, too. But, um, you know, I think some of it, too, is, you know, I don't know. I mean, Drew and, and, and Tom and all those guys that are up there as far as age in this game, I think being around all these young guys all the time uh, helps. It helps you, you know. I mean, they keep you, they keep you energized and excited and fired up, and uh, so it's been fun. And you know, it has been fun just to see what he's been able to do over the course of his career and really become the guy to help keep the Chargers like franchise not going down into the dumps. Because as everybody remembers, Drew Brees is part of the Chargers, and that shoulder injury happened, and he wound up getting dumped off, and the Saints picked him up and. The rest, as they say, is history. So I can say right here, right now, just a 
you probably won't see you won't see Drew Brees at all. Bottom line, he won't be on that field because he doesn't need to be. Drew Brees does not need to be out on the field for any preseason games as long as he is still playing in the league. He can be on the field as an assistant. He can be on the sideline, but keep him the hell away from a football outside of like a warm up because he doesn't need to warm up. He doesn't need to do any preseason game work. He's earned that. And you know, he hates the vet days off. The man hates having veteran days off. And I understand that absolutely. That is just a fact of life. He is a guy that wants to work his tail off every single day. Nothing but respect for the man. But again, I think, and I'm almost certain a lot of people would agree with me, that Drew Brees does need to play at all in this one. I think this is all about giving Bridgewater and Taysom Hill more of a chance to show what they can do as a quarterback. Because, again, the Drew Brees window, the time of him being the face that runs the plays, the quarterback that makes this entire offense tick, it will be coming to an end. Father Time is undefeated, and the man has got taken a lot of bumps over the years, has taken those really tough hits. We've seen a lot of really bad sacks, especially during those years, those lean years, when the offensive line wasn't as great as it is now, you know, we talk about it. Go back and look at 2014-2015 Saints. That offensive line was absolutely dreadful. After Max Unger got in, things got a little bit better, but you needed to kind of shore everything else up as well because you had a, Tur- a not Teron Armstead, I'm, uh, I'm trying to remember his name now, Andrews Pete. You had Andrews Pete struggle because of the fact that he was playing two different positions is something that me and Ben both agree on is the fact that you need to have instead of specializing like having these guys be like multi-positional guys have them specialize in the in that position that position only because I don't want to have this guy it's just basically you you plug and play it doesn't work that way because it winds up like messing with the whole continuity of the offensive line something I've talked about a lot at length about the Cajuns is that Continuity with your offensive line is absolutely crucial. You have one link that kind of falls apart, i.e. a Tyron Armstead, and you put in an Andrews Pete in that spot, and then you got to put somebody else who may not be as experienced where Andrews Pete was. The whole thing falls apart. The center is that anchor. You can still have the center play all 16 games, but if he's not 100%, if the guys aren't set up, ready to go week one, the whole thing is going to fall apart, and Drew Brees could wind up being under a lot of pressure, and that winds up causing him to not be staying upright, not staying vertical. He's still got it, but how much longer will he go if the offense, his career goes the way the offensive line goes? Because it's something I've talked about, it's just something I've always observed with the way pro football is, college football is, especially when I, I'm just going to say for comparison's sake, look at the Houston Texans. You look at their quarterbacks over the years. One thing in common, especially I'd say the first quarterback and the most recent quarterback, especially when it comes to the Houston Texans, Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson had a ton of sacks last year, was was sacked a ton. And you look at David Carr, not Derek Carr, David Carr, the first quarterback for the Houston Texans. He wound up having the NFL record at the time for all-time sacks. I can tell you right here, right now, that if Drew Brees get sacked 40 to 50 40 to 45 times over the course of this season. I think it's his last year. 
because of the fact that eventually those bumps will build up. And, you know, sure, the shoulder has never been better, but if you knock him down enough times, that arm strength could go down a little bit. And that's not what you want if you're the New Orleans Saints. That's not what you want if you're a Saints fan. That's not what you want if you're Drew Brees, if you're Sean Payton, if you're anybody involved with the organization in the slightest. That's not what you want. You want your quarterback to stay upright at all times. I mean, look at Cam Newton. Cam Newton had shoulder surgery during the offseason. He was supposed to make his preseason debut, I believe, last night. The man ain't ready. And that's a concern. Mind you, he's out there still rocking his um, questionable fashion sense. But I can tell you right here, right now, that Drew Brees needs to rest up as much as possible, and we learn what Teddy Bridgewater brings to the table, what Taysom Hill is bringing to the table. Because if Taysom Hill can be good, if not like a solid and acceptable quarterback, I think that's great because you have somebody in the background in case something happens with Teddy Two Gloves. Teddy Bridgewater looked really good because he's trying not to be Drew Brees. He's trying to be himself. And I think that's absolutely fantastic to wind up doing. I want to see what happens with those two guys. That's all I care about when it comes to this preseason game. It's meaningless, but I want to see how some of those guys step up. We're going to go ahead and take a quick commercial break, be back with a whole lot more, but we're going to flip it over to the MLB again. But it's more about an idea that apparently is being bantied about by Aaron Boone, of all people. And I'll say it's the worst idea I've ever heard. And I'll throw it your way next on Acadiana Sports Station 1037 The Game at 1037thegame.com. Every time CD takes the mic is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Now let's get back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station 1037 The Game. position player in the pitch like you have had to do a few times and like did last night would you prefer to have some sort of mechanism where you can just say we're done we quit you mean like uh yeah i mean i think there's a lot i think there would be a lot of benefit to that um you know i i think you'd you'd probably eliminate a lot of the you know unwritten rules of people running or swinging at 3-0 3-0 pitches and, and the quote-unquote wrong scores and just be like, hey, if you get to this point after seven innings or whatever, um, there might be something to that, some merit to that and, wor- and worth exploring because um, it's not fun to have to put in, you know, obviously a position player in that kind of situation, even though I think, you know, for Ford and some of the guys, it's fun. It, you know, it, guys can have some fun with that, but, you know, sitting in my chair you worry about hurting someone you hate throwing up the flag like that and sitting there and getting kicked in the mouth is no fun so um you know i'm sure i'm sure there's something to that question i don't know and that is after a 19 to 4 loss to the cleveland indians i mentioned earlier are currently leading the pack when it comes to the wild card race Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana Sports Station 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com. And this is what's really causing all this for me. I want to be uh, like shocked when I saw this yesterday. <clears throat> the thought of a potential mercy rule in Major League Baseball is an actual thing that is being bantied about by 
head by manager of the New York Yankees, Aaron Boone. Oh boy, I really don't like that idea at all. And why? Why am I just so like just looking at this and poking at it? Because of the fact that it's a dumb idea. Why are you trying to ruin baseball even more? Like we talk about it all the time, how everybody wants the robot umpires. They want these things that don't deserve to be part of the game of baseball. Like, I get it. You want to speed up pace of play. That's a good thing to try and fix because guess what? Our attention spans are going shorter and shorter and shorter, especially when you look at the younger kids who have iPads growing up and cell phones and everything else that can want to distract them from an actual baseball game. I get that. I understand that completely. I understand a lot of different things that have been bantied about over the last few years. Pitch counts, I get. Like that, that's that's the thing that's going to help these guys prolong their careers, especially in the pitching. The pitchers are going to wind up having their like livelihoods extended by a significant amount because of what they're doing. I like that. What I don't like is the robot umpires because that just winds up taking away the human element of the game you might as well just have robots out there playing the game period that's my biggest complaint about all this is how we want to try and better the game without really thinking about how we can outright in 2019 and going forward make the game better and a mercy rule is the worst possible thing you can do because guess what it makes it because here's the thing like 19 to 4 game. That doesn't happen very often. Like, there's not often where you see an outright mercy killing. Sure, the Ashes last week had a 20 something to 4 win. But I feel like more often than not, that is not the end result. I feel like there are some teams, like the Baltimore Orioles, like the Miami Marlins, where those will happen more often than not. But sometimes that's unavoidable. If it winds up going to term, we have a mercy rule, then it's like you basically wind up getting, again, what's the what's the constitution of the mercy rule? Is it going to be like we see in high school, little league, where you have it be a 10-run rule after seven innings? Is it going to be that? Or are you going to put even more to it? Where, after, where if you have a 15-run lead after five innings, then it winds up just getting, you can wind up having to get absolutely ridiculous with some of these teams which is another reason why I'm going to stand here and say right here, right now, there should be promotion relegation in major sports leagues, especially the MLB, because I feel like everybody wants to talk about how, oh, hey, like you got teams outright tanking in the NBA. The MLB is the worst one of them all, Jack, because you've still got teams like the Baltimore Orioles and I'd say to an extent Cincinnati Reds. They're not as great as you'd think they all would be. The Miami, well, the Miami Marlins are the prime example of the tank machine just never ending. It's a perpetual machine since 2003, since the Bush administration, his first term. That's how bad the Marlins have been. They've been a tank machine ever since. Right after they won the World Series, they had pretty much fell on the face of the earth. It was like Thanos snapped half their team out of existence. I can tell you right now, the Miami Marlins are never going to go back to the World Series. I wouldn't be surprised if they try and move over to Canada like we're seeing the Tampa Bay Rays do. And Tampa Bay Rays are currently leading the pack in the wild card because of a revolutionary thing called an opener that they're taking over from that perspective. I think there's a lot of changes that the MLB needs to do. Mercy Rule is not one of them because guess what? 
I want them to whip their behinds. If you can beat up on an Orioles team, on a Marlins team, or any other team for that matter, by the score of 19-4, 23-2, keep doing it. Keep whipping their behind, because guess what? You are exposing these guys as absolute jamokes if they haven't been considered those jokes already. I'm getting hot about this, because this is where we're at in 2019, where we're going to talk about putting together a team, and we want to getting our butts kicked 23 to 2, 19 to 4, or even if it's 10 nothing game because again hypothetically a 10 run rule, 10 nothing after 7 innings, the game's over. I want to see 9 innings even if it's a complete just utter obliteration because guess what that does? That tells the fans, the front office, and everybody else involved that there needs to be a lot of changes around here and the first thing that needs to change is to really focus on rebuilding our franchise instead of continually becoming a perpetual tank machine. Because when's the last time the Baltimore Orioles have been relevant? When's the last time the Miami Marlins were relevant? Again, 2003. Baltimore Orioles, it's been a long time. Maybe since Earl Weaver was the skipper for those O's, they've been at least somewhat relevant. Since Cal Ripken retired, I feel like they just haven't been that relevant in the modern game of baseball. Again, you need to give these guys some incentive to be good, to get good. Because if not, then you get relegated. I'm just going to say I will be the person that constantly says, in all major sports across the states, needs to have promotion and relegation. And that's all I have to say about that because I've got to take a quick commercial break. And then when we come back, we're going to get into a conversation about college football and what's causing all this with Cajun's offensive side of the football, maybe a little bit more of a look around the world of college football, maybe some LSU as well, with a guy, Jim Johnson, Southern Pigskin. He's joined the show. We'll be back after this on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7 The Game.com. Most sports radio shows go up to 10 on the amp. But Under the Dome with CD goes one higher. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These guys are laughing. Now, back to the show that brings the heat on Acadiana Sports Station, 1037 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game and 103.7thegame.com. It's time to flip it over to some more college football talk. We're two sweet weeks away from the world of college football back in our lives on a full-time basis. Of course, we got some week zero matchups. I want to talk about what's going on August 31st, and that is the season opener, Cajuns taking on the Bulldogs of Mississippi State in Mercedes-Benz Superdome. Cannot wait for that. But more importantly, let's get a look at the Cajuns' offensive side of the football with a man that covers it unlike any other, just in terms of offensive performances around the world of college football. And that is Jim Johnson of Southern Pigskin. What is going on, my good brother? Hey, Clint, man. I've been following you for a while. Love your work. Appreciate you having me on. Hey, I appreciate you for giving me the love. Appreciate you coming on the show. But, of course, I want to get people to know – What is OAYP? If they haven't read the article, 
what the devil is that all about? Because I'm sure not everybody knows about <laughs> the inside the inside baseball kind of talk when it comes to the acronym OAYP. Yeah, so OAYP stands for Opponent Adjusted Yards and Points, and it's it's something I was challenged to do this this offseason. Actually, it's it's very new, and yeah, I've been uh, a big fan of the advanced analytics movement in college football for a while. Um, particularly Bill Connolly's work with S&P Plus and, 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 and Brian Fermo's work with FBI. Um, and so my boss has seen me, you know, citing this for a couple of years now in, in my writing and, and challenged me to come up with my own metric. And uh, as far as the team side goes, it's, it's basically boiled down to two of the most basic tenets of football, moving the ball efficiently and scoring efficiently, and on the flip side, preventing your opponent from doing the same. So I take that from last year, points per drive and yards per play, and then combine that with what I think is the cool aspect to make it predictive, which is the player rankings, because, you know, I don't really know that there's anything out there quite like it where a lot of metrics look at just returning production or, you know, percentage of returning players, returning starters, whatever, but I've always been of the opinion that returning good players is better than just returning players. And if you lose a good player but replace them with a an effective player as well, that's not a big deal either. That doesn't really hurt your team. So that's where I think OAYP is a little bit different than anything that's on the market right now. And, of course, now we're going to kind of move over to what's going on with the team. And I think one of the more interesting things is just looking at the OA, OAYP, excuse me, I think we need to bring up, obviously, start things off with the most important player on the team. That is the quarterback, Levi Lewis. It's his job to lose, but I feel like right now he is definitely starting to solidify himself as started heading to his third season with the Cajuns, especially based on what we saw with him last year, where it was literally every four series he wound up getting the reps and getting things done. He wound up being quite efficient with a lot of those drives. But what can you say about Levi Lewis from what you've observed about him? Yeah, um, and and you know I've been hearing pretty good things uh, out of out of camp, the fall camp. Uh, I think the other day at the scrimmage threw for over 200 yards. He did have a pick that uh, Coach Napier was not super pleased with, and uh, and reasonably so. I mean, with that offense and how effective that run game is, if you're turning the ball over, that is problematic. And that would be like my one complaint with Andre Nunez last year, who I thought was one of the most pleasant surprises in the entire Sun Belt. I think Levi Lewis can do a good job, and he's in such a good spot because of the surrounding talent as well as the offensive line play that it's almost going to be pretty hard to screw that deal up, right? So even if he is not you know, Justice Hansen throwing for a million yards or whatever, because of the players around him, he will at least be a serviceable Sun Belt quarterback at the very worst. Exactly. So right now with Jim Johnson of SouthernPickskin.com, and one of the big things for me is when you look at Levi Lewis last year, it was almost immediately he'd look at one read and then he'd run. He'd just focus on that one read. If he, that guy's not open, he's running. But we're seeing it. You brought up perfectly. First scrimmage, over 200 yards, based off of the stats that were released by UL. And that's a huge step in the right direction for a guy like Levi Lewis because we're seeing him now pass the ball a lot more how big a part is that to have him have that as part of his offensive game? Because you think about it, now he can be a true dual-threat quarterback instead of a guy that definitely spends more time running than actually throwing the football. Yeah, and, and you want him to be a, a genuine quarterback in the most traditional sense of the word um, and being an effective passer because of the weapons on the outside. I, I, I mean, Jamarcus Bradley, to me, is probably the second-best 
receiver in the Sun Belt, only behind Corey Sutton and, and Jared Jackson just screams potential breakout star. But more than anything is the turnovers. That's that's what really stands out to me because of how good that run game is. You cannot give the ball up when the offense can be so effective otherwise. Sorry, right now with Jim Johnson, SouthernPigskin.com. And you have the offensive line in terms of the ranking in the Sunbelt Conference as first. And, of course, you put this together before, obviously, the, the big injury that happened with Cole Perdomo. He's going to be out for the year. And now it seems like, as of right now, Como High Product Shane Vallow will be getting the start. Does that affect your ranking of the offensive line as a whole? Yeah, that would take them down a tick, but it probably wouldn't move the ranking out of first place because you're still returning – Four out of five starters, even with Prudem gone. And Kevin Dotson and Robert Hunt are, you know, if you look at my ranking, the preseason ranking of the top 100 players in the Sun Belt, they are two of the top three players in, in the entire conference, regardless of position. I think they're both the best player in the conference at their respective positions. And the offensive line, with all that experience, as well as the top-end talent, is still probably a little bit above App State. But, yeah, losing Prudhomme is a, a pretty – sizable gut punch because it does go from two elite or from really three elite players. I had Prudhomme as a number two center in the Sun Belt to two fantastic, unreal offensive linemen. But, but yeah, it is, it would definitely take it down a notch. I would still say first in the league though. I like that a lot, but I think there's no doubt you take one of these guys out, they're still going to be a damn good running back group. And we're talking about, of course, the Cajuns running backs that three headed monster. They have Eli Mitchell, Trey Regis, and then obviously you got Raymond Calais, probably going to wind up getting a little bit more run as a running back heading into year or two under Billy Napier. What can you say about this? Is this possibly the best three-headed monster in all of college football? Yeah, I mean, I don't even know who who stacks up with that much uh, or with that many proven commodities. And you're talking about a complementary group as well with kind of disparate skill sets that really mesh well, uh, I mean, McGuire was, per OAYP, the best running back in the league last year. And then even when compared to SEC and ACC running backs, he was almost, you know, he was well above the quote-unquote superstar threshold. And, and Trey Regis, I think, was pretty severely underrated by OAYP. For my money, I still kind of think that he might actually be the best running back in the Sun Belt. And then, yeah, you, may, you mentioned, I mean, uh, 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 Raymond sitting there, with the returning lead in, I think, the nation in yards per carry. So the fact that you could make a compelling case for any one of them as the best running back in the Sun Belt is remarkable to then have all three. And, and I mean, it's a good problem to have, but I don't even know how you kind of uh, manage the touch distribution between the three of them. It's incredibly tough, and I just I just want to make sure for the people listening at home. You mentioned McGuire. We did you just were you referring to Mitchell there by accident there? Yes, yes, Mitchell. I was thinking about uh, uh the old old uh, Elijah McGuire. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said, Elijah Mitchell, Elijah McGuire, definitely something you can <laughs> want to. I was just wanted to make sure because I was like, wait a minute, did he finish at 08? I was wondering if that was something PFF put out about Elijah McGuire who now kind of is having to share a lot of touches with Le'Veon Bell with the New York Jets. But hopping over to the defensive side of the football, what do you think is the biggest kind of like thing they're going to have to try and improve upon heading into this year? Because there's a lot of there's not a lot of holes from my point of view. Of course, I want to get your perspective on that. Yeah, I think the run defense has to be better, and I I honestly don't really understand why it wasn't a season ago. Chauncey Manick and Benny Higgins both did a really really good job, and. 
And in the interior defensive line, Trevante Booker and and Zion Hill, those guys have all the talent in the world. They can be really good, and we've seen them be really good, but not, I don't think, for sustained stretches. Uh, The run defense should be, though, I don't know really yet. It leaves me with more questions than answers as far as who to place to blame on. If it's the linebacking core with the interior defensive line, because I have a hard time, uh, you know, really nitpicking uh, Manic or Higgins, but I, I, it should be a little bit better. And then the secondary, while the the numbers didn't look great for the season, that was a, a group that got pretty consistently better on a week to week basis and had a really nice upward linear trajectory um you know even culminating in that in that Sunbelt title game where I think in the first half especially they were flying around I was at that game in Boone they looked fantastic I think App State cracked the code a little bit in the second half but you saw a group that started the season and really struggled got consistently better so while the numbers don't necessarily reflect what it was if it was weighted towards the latter half of the season I would clearly look a lot better couple more questions here with Jim Johnson of Southern Pigskin. And you brought up the fact that the run defense wasn't necessarily as great. I think one big reason why I think a lot of people in Acadiana will agree about this is the fact that Joe Dillon was not a part of this team last year due to that injury with his hip. And right now, from what we've heard, he looks to be 110% back and is ready to go and attack the day. I think that's absolutely huge to have a guy like Joe Dillon back as an edge rusher you mentioned Benny Higgins and Manax definitely proved himself to be quite good as well and then you also look at the defense more of the secondary you brought that up I think a lot of the growing pains was the fact you had Michael Jacquette or Jacquette now excuse me he's made the shift from wide receiver to secondary now he's kind of in his second year and you get to see that defense make ways but sticking with that run defense how much of an impact do you think Joe Dillon winds up making yeah, I mean, you're talking about a freshman All-American. He was unbelievable a couple of years ago, and, and obviously he's been hampered by injuries and just you know hasn't really even looked like the same guy when he has even been able to get on the field. But that is a huge bonus if he is right. Like, if that guy is the same guy that we saw or even improved upon uh, when he was at full strength a couple of seasons ago, that just adds a whole other dimension to a defense that – is dripping with potential, uh, and if he is good to go, I think that this defense can, if the secondary plays like it did over the latter part of the season last year, can be one of the better defenses in the Sun Belt. One more here, Jim, and i got to kind of get your thoughts on it. Two weeks away, Cajuns, Mississippi State, Mercedes-Benz, Superdome. Of course, the Cajuns definitely going to be big underdogs in this one. How do you see this one wind up going? Of course, Mississippi State losing a lot of key defensive players, new quarterback at the helm. How do you see this one going? Yeah, I'll be interested. I think that would be a pretty actually challenging test for that kind of new-look Mississippi State defensive line. You know, they lose Jeffrey Simmons and Montez Sweat, two first-round draft picks. And while, you know, I love Jamarcus Bradley and the passing game could be really good in the Sun Belt, I would probably stay away from that Mississippi State secondary with Cam Dancer, they still are going to be very good. They have a good linebacking core, too. I think their defense was probably one of the three best in the country last year, just for, you know, right, probably behind Clemson and then right there with Miami. But with that defensive line having so much turnover, it's not going to be bad. But, boy, with, with Louisiana's offensive line, which 
a lot of Power 5 teams would happily trade their own for, and that running back uh, trio, that's going to be quite a week one test for a defense that is replacing a ton of leaders up front. Jim, thanks so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you down the road because we are just that much closer to the start of college football season. Absolutely. I appreciate it. All right, that was Jim Johnson. You can follow him on Twitter at Jim Johnson SP, not Jim Johnston, like I'm a, the guy that used to do all the WWE theme songs. I feel like just I keep making that a reference, and there's a reason why. But hopefully you enjoyed that just as much as I did bringing it to you because a lot of great things came out of that. A lot of great at perspective from his end. Obviously, there's a lot of different things that I could bring to the table with that, but I wind up giving you my thoughts on the Cajuns next week because next week we're one week away from the college football season and i will give you everything i will give you all my predictions next week a little tease there to wind up just making sure you tune in but we're going to take a quick commercial break and be back with a whole lot more wrapping things up in a nice little bow next on acadiana sports station 1037 the game from the preps i gave it a uh, a 10 a 10! To the pros. And everywhere in between. Let's get back under the dome with the world-famous CD on Acadiana Sports Station. 1037 The Game. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD on Acadiana's number one sports station, 1037 The Game and 1037thegame.com, live from the 237 Roof Studios. Wrapping things up right about now in a nice little bow, 337-706-0111. If you want to get in on the action, just a few more minutes left in the program. Thanks a lot again to our guy Blaine Henry. I'm talking a little UFC 241. And Jim Johnson, Southern Pigskin, talking a little Cajuns football on the field. Obviously, a lot of the stuff off the field has gotten people hot and bothered. And, you know, I have to say the Athletic, you know, wants to also bring up, you know, the whole Cajuns situation and mentioning them as Louisiana Lafayette. And everybody kind of having fun with that as well, which, again, is just a whole different conversation for a whole different day. And I'm not going to dive into all of that stuff because I think a lot of people here are tired of hearing the perspective of the national media that loves to just take things and spin them into their own way for clicks, which is a different conversation, once again, for a whole different day. But I do have one more bit of talking points here before we wrap up the show. Of course, I'll be here next weekend, 10 a.m. to noon, getting you ready for the first weekend with college football interlines, and it's just a Florida-Miami game. Still going to be good, but not necessarily as great as what's going to happen every weekend thereafter. It's definitely the... It's a perfect appetizer, if you will, for college football being back in our lives. It's a lot of like preseason, a lot of like the Hall of Fame game. Give me more of those and less of, you know, the like the Jamoke programs starting off the season. Give me these kind of games as opposed to, you know, like North Texas taking on Hawaii in like Australia or, or whatever they did a couple years ago. Give me this rather than what they've done in the past. That being said, it's time to give you one last take and we're going to take things back. To the UFC. Just before we close up shop here on 1037 The Game, the famous CD is looking to fire off one more take before dropping the mic. Is it going to be a hot one, or is it going to be the one that he'd like to take back six months down the road? 
Let's listen in and find out. And it's all about D.C. Daniel Cormier, this possible last fight of his career. And I talked about it a lot with Blaine Henry, the John Jones fight, the great white whale that the UFC wants at the last big fight, D.C. John Jones. He doesn't need that fight. Honestly, this is I, if this is his last fight, it's a great way to end it. Because he headed into the fight as the UFC champion. And if he wins, it's even better. Because he goes down as probably one of the greatest heavyweights in MMA history. And this is not up for debate. It is just straight up fact of life. Not just in the UFC, but I feel like in the MMA. Imagine if DC had stayed in that heavyweight division after after the whole strike force situation. Because he was a strike force heavyweight champion back in the gap. People seem to forget about that. And then he wound up dropping down, proving himself to be pretty damn good as being a light heavyweight champion. He wound up being the champ champ. Could never beat John Jones, but I feel like at this point in his career and his legacy, he doesn't need the John Jones fight. He doesn't need to prove himself against a John Jones ever again. Because guess what? Every time John Jones gets in a fight with DC, not long after, something happens that puts a little asterisk on it. I don't want three straight fights with with John Jones being a loss, and especially a loss where it winds up getting wiped from the records after the fact. Give me John Jones if he wasn't on the on the Colombian nose candy, if it wasn't on whatever else he, he had been doing in the past. The guy should have been banned a long time ago from the UFC. That's my whole take. But again, it's the UFC. Daniel Cormier has his spot in the Hall of Fame waiting for him. I know Dana White was talking, I believe, with Jim Rome, how he is not looking forward to the day DC is no longer fighting. But guess what? That day is coming, and I feel like tonight will be the crowning moment of his career, win, lose, or draw. I think he can win against Stipe if it doesn't go five rounds, of course. But if DC wins, he goes down as probably one of the greatest heavyweights to ever fight in the UFC. Not just because of beating Stipe twice. No, no, no. It's the fact that he was absolutely fantastic throughout his career. And he only lost, I think, once in his entire MMA career, guys. That's absolutely huge. Of course, you have that no contest that's in there as well. Like, again, the asterisks that you had with your boy, John Jones, that hurts a lot. That hurts a lot. But I still feel like his legacy is well intact. Win, lose, or draw tonight. And I feel like he doesn't need the John Jones fight to enhance his legacy. I feel like even if he wins, then you're going to have, oh, he, he lost twice to him. They shouldn't have done the third fight. I don't care. Give me DC's legacy now rather than if he faces John Jones and beats him. I want to see DC retire after this fight, hang it up, and be able to enjoy life after the UFC and maybe just maybe jump to the WWE and face Brock Lesnar. That is something I really want. That's all I got to say about that. Thanks to everybody for tuning in, and thanks to everybody for listening in. Thanks to the guests for coming aboard. Don't forget, we got Astros Baseball 230 pregame. We got a first pitch of 305, 9 the MIA. They're in the Bay Area, Oakland, California, the Astros and the A's. I'll be back with you next Saturday, 10 a.m. to noon. Just don't you dare miss it next week on Acadiana Sports Station, 103.7 The Game.
Wake up. Show no. Oh, yeah. Kick it. Live from the 237 Roof Studios in Upper Lafayette. This is KLWB Karen Crow Lafayette. 